Welcome to another episode of Sound Motors with me, Dave Kushtilla. If you're not familiar with the show, in each episode I interview a musician that I respect and through our conversation I try to uncover what has influenced and inspired them in their creative output in the work that they've done. Trying to highlight the areas where music and culture more broadly intersect with each other. After each interview, I then choose a handful of topics that came up during the conversation. There are usually things that have played some part in the interviewee's development, and I research them, writing a short post on the website with links to articles, documentaries, whatever I can find online. So this means, whilst listening to these episodes, if you find any of these topics, these sound sources, interesting, you can read up more about them on the SoundModers website. Makes sense, right? Now, thanks again to Shigeto for episode one. The response has really been amazing. So shouts to everyone who got in touch. And if you missed episode one, it's online, so give it a Google. You can stream or download the podcast. Of course, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, all of them. So really, you have no excuse. Now, today, I'm really excited to get into episode two which features one half of a duo that I've been a huge fan of ever since I first heard their music probably about five years ago. I'm uh, Silas, one half of uh, Kenton Slash Demon, and we are two producers who also DJ and perform uh, electronic music uh, live. I'm sitting in uh, our studio in the center of uh, Copenhagen. It's on the fourth floor so it's pretty high for Copenhagen standards doesn't really have a view but you can you can see the sky so it's, it's pretty nice now some of you might be thinking right now wow Dave you're such a globe drawer. but unfortunately for me I wasn't able to make a trip to Copenhagen to speak with Silas face to face instead thanks to the wonders of 21st century technology which actually only failed maybe 15 or 20 times in the hour that we were speaking We were able to talk to each other over the internet with me 800 miles away in London. But before we get into everything Kenton slash Demon related, hearing about their beginnings and their influences, for those of you who aren't familiar with their music yet, let's check out one of their tracks, the classic Demon, spelt with an A-E, Demon from 2010. <laughs> Thank you. 
In the background is Demon from the Schwarzschild Trilogy of EPs, which came out on Tartlet Records way back in 2010-2011. The quality of the production and the musical ideas across all three releases is pretty staggering, so if you missed any of them the first time around, I really recommend you dig them out. More on that trilogy later, but let's start in a logical place, the beginning when Silas first met the other half of the duo, Jonas. We grew up in like the same neighborhood, really close to each other. Uh, we went to school together. So it's uh, like from first grade uh, elementary school. So it's we are like seven when we started. We actually became friends because we were listening to like the same kind of music. And at that time we were listening to psychedelic trains and like Goa trains. And there was one club in Copenhagen called Club Gorgeous. I remember we were not uh, old enough to get in. So like we had a fake ID. If you were lucky, the doorman, he let you in, even though he could probably see that you were not old enough. But we were so eager to get in that he was like, fuck it, I'm going to let these guys in. And it was like this uh, era of Paul Ogenfold and um, like Ministry, when Ministry of Sound was like really blowing up and uh, Creamfields and this kind of music. Like when Tiesto was just starting to get big. Like how many years ago? Like we were like like 15 years ago or something. Now I don't know too much about trance and go trance myself. Growing up near London, I was exposed to a different set of genres and subcultures as a youngin. But looking back to when I was a teenager, that early period of discovering underground music was for me the most exciting time in my life. Even if some of the music I was listening to back then isn't necessarily to my taste now. So I wonder, does Silas look back on that music with fondness? I guess you have to start somewhere. And um, at that time uh, in Copenhagen, there was just some there was some buzz uh, around this genre of music. So like we just got drawn into it because it was around us. But when I hear it today, uh, I, I don't. Um, I wouldn't put on a, a like a psychedelic trance record, and I, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah, it's pretty far away from what we what we do and what we've been doing for many years. And what about now? For someone who's never been to Copenhagen or Denmark, what's the music scene like today? Copenhagen is not famous for like any particular like electronic scene. It's been changing a lot the years I I've been like a part of it. There will be like a period uh, where like a lot of stuff is going on, but I think. Um, Copenhagen is often uh, just following what's going on other places. We have a, a, a good electronic scene or techno and house scene, but it's just like a, a smaller copy of what's going on in Berlin or, or the UK. Although Silas says Copenhagen doesn't have a scene on par with the larger underground music capitals of the world, that's not really a surprise considering it only has a population of around half a million. By comparison, London is 20 times bigger. And yet, the other side of that coin is that Copenhagen has probably produced more internationally respected outfits than you'd expect from a city of its size. Artists like Trent Moller and labels like Tartelette, who have released the majority of Kenton Slash Demon's music so far, beginning in 2009.
at that time there was a a lot of uh, like uh, parties around uh, Copenhagen. It was a really good time in uh, Copenhagen for electronic music. And um, Frederik, who started the label together with Thomas, he threw a lot of parties and were playing this kind of music. He tried to focus on Danish artists and um, tried to make a sound from it. We did one track, Katabi, and then we played it for him or sent it to him, uh, like over MySpace, I think. And then uh, he really liked it and wanted to release it. And then we made two other tracks to go with it. That was 2009, and I first discovered Kenton Slash Demon later in 2010, which means I heard the Katabi EP for the first time whilst researching this show. And to me, all of their work after that EP has a very unique sound that is recognizably Kenton Slash Demon. So why did the Katabi EP sound so different? It was kind kind of a, a EP we made inspired by the music that was been playing at these parties. It was not really... What we wanted to do was more like in the moment kind of uh, EP. It was like a time where like all the house music was very percussion based. UK stuff like Jesse Rose and uh, the dubsided label.
we were all listening to Ricardo Villalobos and um, and the Katabi EP was just uh, our way of interpreting like that kind of sound I think In the background, it's Ricardo Villalobos with Enfant, and before that, the Justin Martin remix of Worthy's Crackle. It's an example of the percussive house sound that was big at the time and was influencing the Kent Slash Demon Boys in their productions. I first heard it on the Jesse Rose Central Mix in 2009, and if I'm honest, not all the music from that time is dated too well, but I think that track still sounds great. And before that, it was the track Katabi, Kent Slash Demon's first release on Tartalette, and it's through that EP that the duo originally connected with the Copenhagen label. And so I've made Tartlet Records the first sound source from this episode. So let's play a few recent releases to get an idea of what the label's output sounds like. First up, it's Glen Astro. Sound
tasters of the first sound source from this episode Copenhagen's title at records in the background Wayne Snow with a track entitled Rosie that's produced by Max Grave and before that Glenn Astro computer killer from the throwback LP that just came out uh, a couple weeks ago over the years Tartlet has supported a bunch of really interesting artists so if you want to hear more about them there's a post with a bunch of links on the Soundmotors website so let's get back to 2010 to what might be the pivotal moment in the development of the Kenton Slash Demon sound after that, we, we wanted to do something that was like more personal and more close to what we wanted to do in the future also. When we did the soundtrack, that was kind of a starting point for us. Even though we have we released like three EPs before that, we see Sun more as this is the direction we want to go. And we still play that track today. And that just tells us that we were on the right track when we made that uh, uh, that song.
Sun was the first in a series of releases that Kenton Slash Demon produced as part of the Schwarzschild trilogy. Schwarzschild was a physicist and astronomer born in the late 1800s, and having done a bit of research, I think he was the first to provide an exact solution to Einstein's theory of general relativity. Now, with this whole Sound Motors project, I've been dying to try to find examples of musicians being influenced by ideas outside of music, the whole where music meets culture concept. So as I prepared for this interview, I felt like this was a dead certain example of science influencing music, right? We watch a lot of documentaries about black holes and um, science and uh, space, uh, but no, it was not that important. It was just um, a theme we uh, came up with together with a, a graphic designer. He was doing the artwork for all three, and then he kind of got this idea and showed it to us. And then uh, we haven't uh, done the second track at that time. And we actually got inspired by the artwork and and by the the name. So it kind of was uh, back and forth. He, he created the artwork and then we came up with the idea for the second track because of the artwork and the name and the whole uh, concept. And then a video uh, collective, Dark Matters, then through that idea, got inspired to do the videos. So it was just something that felt natural. And then um, we really liked how it all turned out. But it could have been any theory by some scientist. It was not that particular theory that um, was important for the music. Okay, so Schwarzschild himself wasn't that much of an inspiration in reality. But a collaboration between musicians, graphic designers and videographers still counts to me as a really good example of where music meets culture. I think it's so cool when you can see different modalities not only working complementarily, but also informing each other directly in the form they ultimately take. You can see the artwork and the videos on the website, you know the deal. Now let's get back into part two from the trilogy before it drops, a track called Matter.
discovery I made through Demon, the third and final EP from the Schwarzschild trilogy that you actually heard at the top of the show, was Swedish producer Axel Bowman. He did not one, but two reimaginations of the Kenton Slash Demon original, and five years on from having first heard them, much like the original, these remixes still resonate with me. So I wanted to hear the story behind them. We played some parties together, and he played some parties together with uh, Frederik, uh, the owner of uh, Tartelet, uh, the uh, former owner. I think he had been playing uh, uh, Sun, and then Frederick asked him if he wanted to do the remix. We really liked him at that point, so we were just excited about it. We met him like a few times afterwards, and he's a, he's a really uh, a nice guy. Remixes are just part of electronic music culture, but as a producer, how does it feel having your own work reimagined by other people? It often feels awkward uh, in some way, but when an artist takes the song to a place you really didn't expect, a place you like uh, you haven't like you never thought of yourself, then it gets exciting, I think. But when it just feels like um, something some artists did really quickly or just for the sake of doing a remix then I don't know I'm, I'm it sometimes I'm split in like thinking the like a remixing a track is a good idea and not and so where do the Axel Bowman remixes fit into that he did two I really like his uh, dub version Dixon he did an edit uh, of that of uh, Axel's uh, dub version afterwards and that's my favorite. I really like that one. We actually play that version live uh, now when we play in a, in a slightly different version, but we, are, we have taken some of the elements out and created a, our version of his remix and Dixon's edit.
live from Copenhagen's Distortion Festival earlier this summer. That's a live version of Dixon's edit of Axel Bohm's remix of Kent Slash Demon's Matter. That's deep. So many ideas and permutations all stemming from one track. I love that. And before that, one of Axel Bohm's original remixes is the same song. Now, since 2011, it's been pretty quiet on the Kenton Slash Demon front, but this summer the boys have a new 12-inch. This time it's a co-release between Australian label Future Classic, which is home to Chet Faker, Flume, Cashmere Cat, and many more, and Kenton Slash Demon's brand new label, Y Industry. The first release is called Sky Dancer. It has a more synthetic and dance floor-focused sound. So does that mean a shift in intentions? I think uh, Sky Dancer like, has been with us for five years. So we made... The bass, for uh, for example, we made that while we were making, uh, I think, Damon or something in in that time. Uh, so for us, it's not a departure. It's uh, more of um, something that has has been with us that we wanted to finish.
The vision since uh, Sun has been the same. We often get asked what it is, and it's difficult to explain, but between us, we talk about it as a feeling, that melodic feeling in club music. It doesn't have to be melodic, but it's often easier to get in that moment where um, a dance track just takes you... When it takes us to that kind of place, we feel uh, that it's a Kenson track. So it's kind of a feeling for us. It can be a sample, or it can be a, a, a drum loop, but but it's just a feeling, and um, that's when we know, okay, this is uh, beginning to to take form, and then we're gonna build it from here. I could understand why people say it's very different. It's not as embracing. Part one is very uh, inspired by going to uh, going clubbing in uh, Berlin and standing in a club late at night in a like a harsh environment. Where part two is more uh, inspired by the UK uh, break scene, uh, like drum and bass. Um, like we have a like a great love for Chemical Brothers, like their earlier stuff. And I think it was just our way of interpreting that kind of music. We like the idea of having Skydancer uh, as a, a journey through a different states of moods, having a very dark and repetitive intro, and then uh, going over to this melodic and um, uh, like uh, trancey kind of vibe in the part two. Listening to Sound Motives with Kenton Slash Demon. In the background, their new single, Sky Dancer Parts 1 and 2, which is out now on a co release between Future Classic and Y Industry. Now, from a more technical perspective, part of what makes the Kenton Slash Demon sound so special is what appears to be a unique approach to sampling. So I wondered where did the boys develop these techniques from? I think uh, just listening to those artists um, uh, learned that you could. You can use samples samples in so many ways. Like Daft Punk would like find the perfect loop or the perfect sample, and then build from that. And then having the, their start point would be incredible because it would just be this amazing loop.
Jay Dilla og Madlib would just uh, throw everything together in uh, like disregarding uh, tempos and uh, and styles. Open the blues up and let some of the blues blood come out to show them. 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 And then, like thinking of it in a techno kind of way, like Steve Reich or or the field just repeating samples for a long period of time, and then. Then having uh, like uh, like only these small changes, uh, but you could hear the change all the time. just having all those ideas and possibilities just was very inspiring for us when we were making like uh, Sun for instance and I think it's been kind of a, a way uh, of using samples uh, that we still uh, that we still do so
In the background, they won't see me by Scandinavian producer The Field. And before that, two tracks from Steve Reich. He's an avant-garde composer who was sampling way back in the 60s, which just kind of boggles my mind a little. And ever since, he's been playing with phasing and slipping time signatures, both through the use of sampling and live instrumentation. He's another sound source, so if you want to find out more about him, check out the Soundmo's website. There's a wicked documentary on there that's really worth watching. There is also Madlib, Jay Dilla, and Daft Punk, all people whose techniques have contributed to Kenton Slash Demon's approach to sampling. So what about engineering? It sounds like that's another important part of the Kenton Slash Demon process. I think that's uh, what's been interesting about uh, electronic music for so many years and keeps uh, being interesting is, is that uh, the sound has so much to do with the music and a, a whole scene can be built around a sound and we also been like kind of nerds like Sonic uh, listening to the music just with uh, only uh, in regards to how it's been been mixed and uh, and the techniques now it's funny because I do exactly the same when I listen to a production I often try to pull apart the constituent layers of a track in my head and I love that with Kenton slash demon tracks I often struggle to figure out how it was made a case in point is their track or from 2012. For us, all was a kind of a experiment in that way, uh, more than making a track that could be used to anything. It, it was because it's not a, a club track and it's a pretty weird, uh, like um, it's just. Um, it was more of uh, trying to put so many layers in and then compress the hell out of them uh, <laughs> and uh, see how far we could go. A lot of people have gone much farther but uh, for us it was uh, nice to like just go out out on a limb and do something just for the sake of doing it background is Kenton slash Demon's track Or, a pretty phenomenal sounding experiment in compression and layering, which when I first heard it, 
I felt it had touches of Aphex Twin's window liquor, where I struggled to figure out what it was composed from, whether it was voice or synth or sample, analog or digital. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was uh, our way of doing exactly that. Is it a sample? Is it a synth? Like, how, how was this sound created? It was exactly that. <laughs> up being a lot of melody in our music even though we we start out with an idea about not having any melody at all it always ends up with like at least some uh, chord changes I think um, all was uh, was still supposed to be catchy uh, but catchy in a kind of weird weird way uh, the same with window liga is uh, you don't know why but you just uh, you just keep playing that song. It's uh, it's just very catchy, even uh, even to people who who don't listen listen to this kind of music. And that's when it's really amazing when you can do something that's totally weird and having a lot of people connect to it. That then you know you have done something uh, something good. For a professional musician or producer, these topics such as sampling, engineering, and the use of melody are, of course, crucial techniques when it comes to creating. But additional to the introspective nature of being an artist, I've often wondered whether musicians are able to inhabit a space where they aren't influenced by outside pressures. After all, the subculture or broader music community in which an established artist has found success usually also has rules and expectations to abide by. So does Silas feel any of these pressures of conformity when releasing music? We don't think about it when we do a track. When is it uh, commercial appealing or is this going to be respected by the dance community? We don't think about it uh, like that. And what about with your own fans? Do you worry about disappointing or surprising or unsettling them? I think we do worry, actually. I think we still make music for the people um, that has been listening to us for the beginning or even like our friends who, who liked our music before it got released and who also listen to uh, listens to electronic music like we don't want to disappoint this very small group of people we feel that this is kind of the reason why we are doing it often with an established band who's released a new record you hear that they're chastised either by their fans for deviating from the formula or by critics for a lack of a new direction so it's clearly a tightrope walk that few have managed to navigate successfully However, for Silas and Jonas, they're in a unique position in that they inhabit multiple spheres, one as Kenton slash Demon and another as half of Danish electro pop group When Saints Go Machine. Hey, 
Sainsco Machine is uh, a band with um, me and Jonas and then um, Simon Mushinsky and Nikolai Manuel Vonsil. The intention was to do like more song-based music, like pop music, but with a totally different approach than w- uh, you would normally hear. And I think that's what I find so exciting about Silas and Jonas's various projects. They make underground electronic music and they make pop, and yet they have an outsider's approach to both bringing innovative sounds and engineering to the mainstream and a rare use of melody to the underground. So I've chosen When Saints Go Machine as the final sound source from today's episode. There's an amazing video of them performing on the main stage of their hometown festival, Roskilde, which they attended every year since they were in their early teens. And it feels like you're witnessing a triumphant homecoming. It's really special. So check out the website for that and all other sound sources mentioned today. Anyway, I'd like to thank Silas for taking the time to chat with me, and despite the technical issues, remaining patient and thoughtful throughout. Later in the year, there's a bunch of new music coming from Kenton Slash Demon, and further afield, there's new When Saints Go Machine material coming, so keep a lookout for that. Of course, as ever, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter, we're on SoundCloud and on the Soundmotors website. Your input is always welcome. So see you next time for episode three, and I'll leave you with one of my favorites from When Saints Go Machine. This is Infinity Killer. Till next time, peace. Land of the lost might see me in cold black. I can't know it in the ceiling. I'm raining, tuning my calls. No need to post bail, call past freedom in the light. Being caught outside, strength and nail on my head with me.